0: Welcome to the VMox Road to Mobile Victory podcast. Enterprise mobility is bigger and more complicated than ever. In this series, we'll talk about the latest trends, inspiring success stories, and simple and effective tips for managing your corporate mobile assets, expenses, and services. Hello everyone, I'm your host, Andrea Leiby, Director of Marketing here at VMox. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the enterprise mobility journey and why it's important for companies to understand those key management stages and touch points. We'll chat about what you can realistically expect from your internal staff or those outside mobility partners, especially after year one, year two, maybe year three, and in those crucial areas such as cost savings. We'll also share strategies to mitigate those single points of failure and talk about tips for managing stakeholder expectations so that everyone wins. Joining me today is Mr. Ben Kreese, VMOX Director of Client Experience, a frequent guest, I should say, or frequent flyer on this podcast. Welcome. Thanks for coming back to chat with me.
1: Pleasure. Thanks for having me. And do I get any any prizes? Can I redeem these points for being a frequent flyer?
0: Ooh, I don't know. Maybe I should start a point system. And then you can redeem them for for prizes later. That's a that's a good idea.
1: It's gonna be <laughs> it's gonna be worth a mug or a pen or something.
0: I oh, know it probably is. it probably is. I have to get a little bit unique in terms of the questions here. How did you get into telecom? I mean, it's not a fun question, but I think it's important. How did you first get into telecom? Most people don't necessarily have this journey, maybe out of school.
1: No, I, I think you're probably quite right, and it, and I you know I'd like to say there was some you know very interesting story of how I got into it that. You know, as a young boy I dreamt of working in telecoms and looked at the stars and, and
0: <laughs> so did so do many. Um, so do many.
1: <laughs> and the reality is probably that we know today didn't exist when I was a, a young boy. So True. and that's kind of an interesting thought as well. That like I own three young children that the jobs they may do in the future may not exist today. That could be a really interesting interesting thought. Yeah. But in terms of my journey, not that interesting, but I started my career as an environmental consultant straight out of university. So I went to university, I studied budgie, so rocks, and I used to climb wow. around. Yeah. I used to climb around volcanoes and all sorts of exciting things. And and so did geology for three, four years. the got a job as an environmental consultant and I specialised in nuclear contamination as an environmental consultant. Yeah. So I, and I didn't plan that. I just kind of fell into it. And, um, and so I spent a lot of my time at places where we have nuclear material, typically nuclear power stations or where we build the bombs or maintain the bombs here in the UK. Um, and of course, nuclear power stations or places where you store nuclear weapons aren't typically in the middle of cities or urban areas. They're typically yeah, pretty true. remote. And so I'd spend weeks and weeks living in hotel rooms in very remote parts of the UK, you know, literally the north coast of Scotland. I you know, stood on the north coast looking out to sea and knowing that there's a few islands and not a lot else in front of me. Uh and so after about five years a little bit a little bit weary of obviously thinking about starting a family and so forth. So decided to pivot careers and started looking at project management project management in my job as it was, and then really, just a friend of mine worked for a telecoms company and they had some project management roles and i applied got the job and at the time I thought I'll do this for two, three years, get some experience, and then jump to another industry and keep you know keep the project management career flowing and somehow I got stuck in in telecoms too and here I am absolutely
0: <laughs> fifteen twenty years later but yes oh man, yeah, you know I think historically i've I've been in what you would call the non-sexy industries, right? Construction, transportation, analytics, risk and compliance. That was fun. Looking at positions in telecom. So I think like you, I didn't necessarily seek out a position, but I, I kind of fell into it and it's kind of stuck. So I thought, why not? And so far, so good. And I, I joked to some of my colleagues from university, as you call it in the UK, that I don't actually know what I would do if I worked at a B two C company, you know, marketing something like skincare products or fast food. I think I'd I wouldn't know what to do with myself. So I think at this point I am in the I'm in the right industry.
1: I, I would echo that. I mean, I'm pleased we worked together, and um, <laughs> I'm glad you fell into it alongside me.
0: <laughs> All right, so let's let's get to this. You know, there's a story that I've heard kind of over and over and over again from organizations, and it's this. I hired Vendor X to save me money on my wireless bills, right? They were doing great at first. The initial savings was amazing, right? Everyone was happy. But then maybe two to three years later, it disappeared. My management's now frustrated with me. So something must be wrong or broken. So I got to fix this. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go look for another vendor or I'm going to do it myself because maybe I can, you know, optimize better or I can manage my mobility better. Now, I think from the vendor side, what we see is that usually in both cases, you know, this person or this team ends up getting disappointed, right? They're riding this ride over and over again, right? Moving from vendor to vendor, having this, this peak of, of an optimal result, and then it kind of just falling off And from their perspective. So why is it so important that people kind of understand those, the journey of mobility and those touch points?
1: No, we, we really have jumped straight into it. Um, yeah. It, it's a really interesting topic and, and one that perhaps we don't talk about enough in this industry. Agreed. Um, and this industry is phenomenal and does phenomenal things. And, and some of the savings efficiencies that we bring and, and others in the industry bring is, is really impressive stuff. But you're right. It has to be looked at through the lens of a journey. Year one, day one, often we can move very quickly with savings and there's the low hanging fruit, which is you know, typically easy to get. And you can generate pretty, you know, pretty big numbers that everyone's gonna sit around and pat themselves on the back and be very happy. Year two, three, and beyond, there is absolutely still value. There's still lots of savings, there's still efficiencies, and you start to look broader than just you know the cold hard dollars, you look at perhaps some of those softer savings and the user experience pieces and efficiencies and and so forth. But I think to your point, Unless you understand that, journey, you understand that year one is going to be heavy, big, big eye-watering numbers of savings. Year two and three yep. is going to be incremental savings and incremental soft value efficiencies that is harder to just, uh, justify, quantify, to measure. If you don't understand that, you start to create a friction between you know, your supplier and yourselves. Um, you know, you're mm-hmm. probably beating them over the head a bit. I want more savings. And they're probably struggling to articulate to you, well, there's still lots of value, but it's probably not necessarily showing in your invoicing. And then it probably creates some expectations from your, you know, your leadership, your C-suite, for example, who start to think, well, what are they doing for us today? Like we, we love the value in year one. What are they doing for us in year three? And Great. you've got to articulate that journey because you know, there is still lots of stuff happening there. But if you, if you, all you ever lean on is how much they saved us or how much we save, you're missing the picture. And so I think the important point there is making sure you're communicating and you're measuring the right things. Success shouldn't be measured purely by those cold, hard dollar savings.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, for most companies, it starts with understanding your own development, right, and your own performance and really an objective sense in in comparing it against industry best practices. So, you know, what does this maturity model look like for enterprise mobility? If you kind of were to explain it to a prospective client or, you know, maybe your mother-in-law, if we put it in simple terms.
1: <laughs> I think it's a really interesting tool and it helps really understand that journey. And when you're having those C-level conversations, whether you're in, mm-hmm. you know, in the pre-sales environment or you're three years into a contract, understanding where you are and where you're going and being very open and and realistic about where you sit in that model. And I tend to lean into you know an, an ITIL type framework. And there's different frameworks, of course, and people use different ones as their preference. But I tend to lean into like the ITIL framework and you basically measure maturity on a level of one to five. One, you're kind of looking at that um, initial ad hoc management approach. Five, you're in this fully optimizing and continuously optimizing. Important to note, level five is not perfection and you stop. Level five is you're continuously optimizing and improving. You have the processes and the, the focus to do that. And, you know, I think about level one in this space, which is where a lot of our customers we start with would probably be in a one, maybe a one and a half to a two, where they're not ignoring the problem. They are managing mobility. It's probably inconsistent across business Mm -hmm. units, perhaps across countries. Uh, It's probably done in some degree of a silo. If you're an international company, it's probably siloed by countries or regions. There's probably no centralized repository of inventory, or if it is, maybe it's an Excel spreadsheet sat on somebody's computer somewhere. There's probably no unified view of usage and invoicing and, and spend. You might have some of that from your finance system where you can see, okay, we're paying Vodafone X amount, we're paying Verizon X amount, but you probably can't see any details behind of what you're actually spending that on. And it, it often the success there when you're at a level one or a level two probably comes from efforts of a few heroes within your company who are working hard, who are talented and skilled, who are driving this forwards. And if those people go sick or you know, they decide to move on to other things, then your program could quickly unravel. And that kind of your level one say, it's not that you're doing nothing. It's not that things are falling apart, but it's perhaps not optimal. Yeah. You go all the way up to level five on the far end of the spectrum where you've got consolidated views globally across all of your carriers, your real-time or near real-time optimizing your usage and spend. You've got very mature user education programs where there's lots of visibility across the business and people understand the policy and how that ties to their usage and their roles and so forth. Um, and you're, you're tying in your carrier contract negotiation to your policy, to your usage, to your future business growth plans and business continuity needs. And it's a very holistic view. And level five is, is let's say maybe that continuous improvement utopia doesn't mean you need to get to level five and a level four, even a level three can be acceptable. It it comes to what you, where you sit as a business and how big uh, mobility is part of what you do, how critical it is to your success that will change business to business. And, yeah, there is, of course, a big difference between having a 100 mobile lines and 50,000 mobile lines um as to how far you need to go up that that maturity model. So it, it is a powerful tool. And I do think coming into a program like working with Vmox or a managed mobility provider, being very open with yourself about where are we on this model. You know, everyone likes to think they're doing the best job and they're perfect, but there is a reality. Everyone,
0: where... Everyone's a five. Everyone's, everyone's a, five. a five. Absolutely. <laughs> but, but
1: there is a reality that, you know, Even if you're highly skilled, if you don't have the time or you don't have the tools to support you, it's hard to get high up the high up that's that level. And you know, you've got multiple countries, multiple vendors, all those things. If you don't have a tool that brings all that data together and simplifies and standardizes it and brings in your contracts and brings in your vendors, if you don't have those tools, you probably can't run that in Excel. You probably can't be successful. So being pragmatic about where you are and where you can get to with the tools in your toolkit is I think very much the first step of that model. And then deciding about, okay, where do we want to get to? And is it a five? Is it a four? And what does that mean to us as a business? And what's the benefits of that? And then starting to bring in that expertise and those tools that come with a management provider will start to then drive you towards that strategic thinking of, okay, year one of this program, we're at level two. By year three or year two, we want to be at level three. What are the things we have to do? And of course, with that comes the, the savings, the efficiencies, the user experience stuff that we just, you know, talked about that is, is the value.
0: Yeah. I mean, speaking of kind of tools, you know, there's a lot of organizations that for whatever reason, they decide to insource their mobility management, right? They're using their own teams and tools. And those tools may be as simple as an Excel workbook, um, or it could be maybe an MDM or an ITSM that they're managing some of their activities through. But... I think, real talk here, what can companies expect for those outcomes and results if they don't have kind of those tools that we would consider enterprise ready? Um, how how far realistically should they plan to get? Like what kind of conversation can they have with their management to say, hey, listen, I can only do so much with this Excel sheet and this is where I'm going to get. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, it's, it's an interesting thought and Again, the, this will vary depending on the size of the organization, how many carriers, the complexity, the number of lines, like it changes, you know, frankly, trying to manage 50,000 uh, users in a spreadsheet, you're going to fail a hundred. Yeah. It's probably realistic to do some of that. Um, but all of it comes down to when you think about a mobility program, is you've got all of these data inputs as a starting point. You've got your policy, your contracts, your user database, your inventory, your hardware, and then you've got all of, of course the, data from the carrier in terms of invoicing and you know usage megabytes minutes so forth and, and of course understanding plans and if you do that across multiple countries and, and so forth you've got language and, and other you know legislative, legislative things to think about so how realistically easy is it to pull all that data together understand it all and do something with it if you don't have the tools and the expertise it, it becomes very difficult and if you have one country or one carrier maybe you're just working with AT&T in the US you probably can do some of that you can probably do it in Excel you can probably do some of it with the carrier portal, but it becomes a lot of management work, a lot of manual effort. You know, a user leaves and you need to change who's got that line. You've got to log into the carrier portal. You've got to change that, or you've got to go into Excel sheet and change that. You've got to rely on somebody remembering to do these things. If you're trying to recover a piece of hardware because somebody's left, you've got to rely on the the teams within your company to know what to do and where to send it. You've got to have somewhere to send it. You know, it's not always obvious. Where do you send a, a mobile phone when someone leaves, especially if you're a remote environment? you don't have an office to send it to, where does that go? Or does it end up just sitting in someone's drawer? Or does the user just walk away with it? And of course, that, that comes with cost and risk to the business. So I think you need to be realistic about what resources you have. You know, If you have an IT team who can take on some of that device you know, returns and, and management, if you have an IT help desk that can perhaps do some of the mobility and use support, you can get yourself somewhere along the program. But you will start to come up against those points of friction where People are doing lots of things. You know, they're not specialists necessarily. They've got broad generalist knowledge. They can't always help every problem. They don't have every tool to analyze the spend and, and so forth. So yes, you can go to the carrier and negotiate a good contract, but can you get into the minutiae of all of your usage to really optimize that contract to what you need? So I think you can do a lot. You can certainly drive savings. You can certainly give your users a, a reasonably good experience. Um, but I think pulling everything together, as we've talked about and pulling all those data points and pulling all those stra- strands of the strategy with the, the policy and the contracts and the user, the user policies and so forth, pulling all that together when you've, you know, a couple of people in a spreadsheet is likely impossible. So you're probably hitting, I don't know, three on that, on that maturity model at best. Um, and again, that might be good enough, but when you're getting to the scale of, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of lines, um, Often, you're opening yourself up to additional costs, which will quickly snowball, and you open yourself up to, you know, to risks from a data security or a user experience perspective.
0: Yeah. And I think that's you know, that's if you have a consistent team that's with you from year to yes. year, right? I think about you know one of the biggest challenges right now with companies is just talent management. And you know, I read a stat the other day. They were saying that like 46% or something of people in IT are possibly looking for a new job next year. So, I mean, that's if you have the same team in place that's trained up, that knows what's to do. If that doesn't happen, then not only are you internally training and, you know, trying to get that everything reset every time someone like a Susie Q leaves, you know, that could that can be challenging in itself. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a no. dynamic that I think people don't think about long term.
1: I 100% agree. And, and like I said earlier, you know, often the success of these programs comes to the heroic work of a few individuals who have the expertise and experience and, and apply it. But as soon as they you know, get a promotion and have other things to think about, or they move on, or, or whatever happens there, you start to create gaps. And it's a conversation I have regularly with clients who will come to us and say, I've just been given responsibility to manage this new area of the business. Maybe they're in the US and they've suddenly been told, hey, you can manage the uh, European part of our mobility yeah. program because Susie Q has got that promotion and, and it makes sense. We'll, we'll move it to you in the US. And the number of times they say to me, Ben, I don't even know where to begin. I don't even know who the carriers are. Or you know, I can maybe pull from finance who we're paying, but I don't really know anything about the contracts and so forth. And please, can you help us? That is a pretty common conversation because gaps get opened up where people leave and hold all that information in, in their heads. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and of, of course, again, when you're trying to scale here globally, uh, or even in a few few small countries when you scale. Having a team that comes with a mobility provider like VMOX that can pick up your end user you support or your ordering or your uh, negotiations means again, for who go on the training course and aren't available for three days and suddenly there's no one placing your orders for the CIO who's got an escalation on something. It gives you that business continuity to outsource teams.
0: Yeah. I think things are more fragile than what people would expect when you're insourcing. And yes. I think. That is just something that doesn't necessarily cross the mind when thinking about and setting up a program like that, and your ability to support critical devices you know if you're a company that your device is you know I can do my job or I can do I can't do my job without this device you know it seems like it's taking a lot more risk than what people think so what, what about the what about the companies that do have a partner right? those people that might be with a partner like vmox for a long time let's say it's three, five, ten years. How does that maturity model change right? What can people kind of expect after a relationship that's been ongoing for so long?
1: yeah, so it we sort of talked about year one, the low hanging fruit there's often a lot of savings um, that come relatively quickly you know we can get savings in within weeks really of the customer signing or optimizing plans and so forth and then you know after that we start to look at okay let's renegotiate contracts and get better rates and of course contracts aren't always up for the you know renewal day one so you have to work through some timelines there and then you start to focus on things like you know the inventory management and zero usage and and that that really fills a lot of year one i think is, is you know mm-hmm. getting a lot of that program in place getting that deep understanding and building you know that savings model and you know typically year one i think somewhere around 30% would be a realistic savings target. As you move into year two, year three and beyond, it becomes more iterative, it becomes incremental um, improvements. And often in year two, I start to think about, okay, we've got the easy savings, there's still savings to be had here. It's maybe not as uh, jumping in your face, but it's still there. And I start to look at things around policy. I start to look at things around user education. And I think people often underestimate the power of visibility and the power of user education within your, uh, within your environment. Um, and I, in fact, was talking to a client relatively recently over the last few weeks who had seen a huge increase in their data usage at the start of this year. And so we started working with them on an uh, education program to really highlight to the users what they should and shouldn't be doing with their devices and what the impact of that high data usage is on the business. And, uh, and we saw a probably a 20% decrease in wow. data usage over a kind of three-month period. Yeah, it was significant. And and even if you're on a you know a, a pooled environment or an all-you-can-eat unlimited environment on data, getting it usage down gives you more negotiating power with your contracts. Um, gives you the ability to push for slightly lower rates. And, and honestly, even an unlimited contract, there is small print, there is fair usage and things behind it. So you know, educating your users to not abuse their corporate devices because they perceive they can does have a big impact on your uh, on your bottom line ultimately. So user education definitely comes with a lot of benefits. And, and as I say, policy kind of ties to that. You need a policy to then educate your users against that. So so year two, I think, becomes a lot around those type of areas. And, and then as you sort of look to year three and, and beyond, really focusing on on that user experience, that productivity piece, and start to look at how you're managing hardware, how you're sourcing that hardware, in fact, and, and making sure you're getting devices into hands quickly. But conversely, you know, getting those returns, those recycling you know, things like sustainability start to pull into this and as I talked to you earlier. It's not all about hard dollar savings. Some of it is reputational value, some of it is, you know, giving good user experience, which leads to good um retention and so forth. Yeah, there is other things to measure. But I think you know, year two, year three, you're starting to pivot into those topics about building slightly more efficiency, slightly more you know, business continuity into what you're doing, you know, focus on areas rather than just negotiating the cheapest prices. You know, it is about how do we make sure that someone's got the right device at the right time in the right place? And and that's where you transition to. Um, The other thought here, and and I suppose as you engage with your leadership and you're talking about the program, it's also important if you are five years into working with a supplier, is acknowledging that where you are today is a different place to where you might have been five years ago. Agree. Not just in terms of the program, but in terms of your business. And as a conversation, again, I see relatively frequently where you as the, the managed mobility supplier are saying, look, over the course of our relationship, we've saved you X million. Uh, and it often is that kind of number. And then the CFO comes back to you and says, but my uh, telecom invoice is higher than it was three years ago. Um, you know, so you're saying you saved me this money, but I'm paying more to to Vodafone or to T-Mobile or to whichever carrier. And, and often the counterweight to that is, look at the profile of what you have and what you're using, what you're doing in your mobility environment today. You know, you're probably using 300% more data than you were three, four years ago. You probably have 20, 30% more users than you had that time ago. You've probably given you know, MiFis and tablets out and you've gone through a digital transformation. Yeah, number that of time. devices. Yes, absolutely. So um whilst your invoice might not have gone down, your cost per line, your cost per unit, your cost per megabyte or gigabyte, those things should and undoubtedly will have gone down and you'll be getting more bang for your buck at that kind of more granular level. Um, overall, your invoice, what you pay the carrier might be higher, in fact, but you're likely mm-hmm. getting much more True. value there. So, that's an important part of the the context here when you're looking at these long-term programs. I
0: also think there's some natural kind of add-ons and paths you can take in those additional years, right? Where maybe you started off looking at something like cost savings maybe year two and three, you're looking at, okay, what are the needs of the business, right? Do I need um, to add on help desk or service desk? Do I need, uh, you know, some sort of logistics program to recall those devices? And I think that evolves as your program maturity evolves, right? As you look at your things like mobile device policies, and how does that flow into other needs of the business or initiatives like sustainability, what you talked about? I think there's you're, you made a great point. There's a natural evolution of not only the relationship between your managed mobility vendor and your company, but just your company in general. You, maybe when you started off, only a handful of people got devices, but maybe by year three, everyone, everyone has a device, right? And maybe if you're a retailer, there's five devices in a store um, for a checkout experience versus one, right? I think that changes as well. So, you know, There's always a need. It's just that re and evaluating where you are in the program and where your business is, I think it's just, I think yeah. it's critical. And I think people forget to do that or they just kind of get caught up in what they maybe initially purchased and where they started at. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think this is a great topic, honestly. I think we could probably talk about this for hours um, because it, it feels like it's something that just kind of comes up over and over again. So I really enjoyed our conversation. I think it's so important to use some sort of benchmark or maturity model to assess your mobile program. I think it allows people to continuously improve, to manage a lot of those expectations, ask the right questions, which I think is important, and then consequently develop strong action plans. So I really appreciate your insights and advice, Ben. It was great. Have a great
1: day. Thanks, you.
0: From all of us here at Vmox, thank you for listening. Remember, mobile victory can be yours. Just trust in the experts. We'll see you next time on the road to mobile victory. To learn more, visit us at vmox.com or follow us on LinkedIn.